Blog Talk Radio. This is Backroom Politics. And good afternoon out there on Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is a commuter edition of Backroom Politics. I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell, broadcasting from Monmouth County, New Jersey, here down the shore. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, she is the former attorney for the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016 for the great Buckeye State of Ohio. She is a bar-certified lawyer in the Garden State of here in New Jersey and the uh, great Empire State of New York. She's Sharma Lachari. Hey, Sharma, how are you? Hi, Justin. I'm great. Watching the weather turn from beautiful sunny day to black-eyed thunderstorm. Yeah, and in Manhattan, even better. Hey, uh, joining me also on the line, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the one we know as Rear Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral, how you doing? Uh, Fresh back from the Jersey Shore where the weather was perfect. Uh, Doing well. Thank you. Yeah, it's perfect when you're there. When I'm here, (laughs) not so much. Hey, uh, also joining us, she is the former executive producer for such networks as NBC and ABC News. She's a former on-air talent reporter for said networks as well, and now lives in the windy city of Chicago. She is the one we know as Laura Chavez. Hey, Laura. Good afternoon, everyone. Hey, we've got a lot to talk about, obviously. Breaking news, I mean, it's not even breaking anymore. It's just kind of, all right, we're breathing. I get this. Oh, I also cannot forget Joining us from a non-disclosed location somewhere between Washington, D.C. and Cape Cod is our associate producer, Audrey Howerton. Audrey, thank you for running the board. That means you can come on, Audrey. Oh, she's, well, no, she's I wasn't sure, but you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, okay, go back to mute, Audrey. Anyway, we've got so much to talk about now. Here's the great thing about it. Wait a minute. And also, I cannot forget, joining us as he does every Tuesday – He is the former Democratic, or he's still kind of a Democratic political operative, former Joe Biden operative and bar certified lawyer in the District of Columbia in the great state of Maryland. He's the one we know as Dan Littner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. I hope you're looking forward to the next Republican National Convention hosted in Moscow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks for kicking that off, Dan. Okay, in case you have been literally – living in a remote Polynesian island in the South Pacific. President Donald Trump went to Europe last week and this week, and all of a sudden it's come back to haunt him back here in the States. Let's cope with the big news. Uh, Yesterday uh, there was about a half-day summit, or depending on who you ask, a meeting between President Donald Trump and, and Russian President Boris, uh, Boris Yeltsin. <laughs> Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin. You can't, you, can't, you can't make this stuff up, folks. You cannot make this stuff up. Let me try this again. Russian President Vladimir Putin. We wish we had Boris Yeltsin back. Anyway, uh, both uh, Putin and Trump met uh, one-on-one for a good amount of time. The room only contained the two heads of state and the two 
interpreters that were assigned. And then from there, uh, it got into even more weird territory. This is where it started going south, if you can call it that. Here's where it started going south is when the president was doing an impromptu press conference with President Putin. Many on both sides of the aisle now are calling for the president's head on this. When asked about um, the indictments, Trump came back and said, quote, well, uh, when asked about would he ask Putin to, uh, to send the 12 GRU officers that were indicted by the DOJ the previous Friday, he came back and said, quote, well, I might. I hadn't thought of it. But again, this is during the Obama administration. He continued to go on during the press conference and say that, you know what, basically Russia told me that uh, – Putin told me that they were not involved in the meddling, and I believe him, so no biggie. We're good. And, oh, by the way, uh, how come uh, we don't see Hillary Clinton's emails? So many things to talk about. So many factors – People are now using the T word, treason, when talking about Donald Trump, uh, including a former director of Central Intelligence, which we'll get to that here shortly. Let's get to this real quick. Admiral Ken, as, as a retired senior naval officer, you're seeing the spectacle of that press conference and the words coming out of the president's mouth. Oh, by the way, if you want to join the conversation, you can call in 657-383-0419. Again, 657-383-419. Admiral Ken, back to you. You must have been seething watching that go down. Um, I, 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 I honestly have uh, – you know, it, 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 it was, it's almost to the point now where every month and a half – um, we're on the air talking about something crazy that President Trump has done or said. Um, and I got to admit, uh, wor- worse than seething yesterday, I was just uh, – I was, I, was, I was heartbroken because, you know, I, I guess I always thought, you know, with all of his faults, um, you know, with all of his faults, he really didn't mean uh, the, the words or the, the, the sentiment behind the, the words America first. And yesterday, that 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 went completely out of his head. You know, I, I don't know how um, our friends in the intelligence um, uh, in the intelligence community uh, are going to work today. I, they they went in because they're dedicated professionals. But I, I you know when when your boss basically stands next to the guy responsible for perpetrating one of the biggest crimes against or I mean, attacks attacks against our democracy uh since 9-11 and basically throws you under the bus you know i got to believe that you're not walking into the office as you know as as quickly as you, as you would the, the day before um uh, i i am using the word the, the t word i am using the word treason um because i think that's what happened yesterday um i think that um in in worst case scenario um, I think that the president. Um, I think I think it's clear that there's that there's something there's something between these two. Uh, that's the only thing I can come up with that could explain um, the, the the behavior, the words, the just outright dismissal, and the just the 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 just, just the, the focusing on uh, Hillary Clinton's email server. You know, a year and a half into um, 
his his term as president. It's it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And you know, here's and I'll add this. So I, I got up this morning and I called some people that live outside the Beltway because one thing's come clear to me since I moved back here in in 2014 that the way that I typically see things lately is a little different than how folks outside the Beltway see it. So I call one of the most fervent Trump supporters that I know, who's himself a retired Army senior Army officer. Uh, lives down in uh, down in Alabama, and and he too was just like you know, expletives deleted. What the bleep was that? I don't understand this. And this is a Trump supporter, and uh, he goes, "This is bad. This is awful." And I don't know what he's doing. So, Charmlet, did did Donald Trump do damage to his executive, or did he damage the credibility of the presidency as a whole? I think he did the most damage to himself. You know, you've seen bipartisan condemnation saying this is the most disgraceful, shameful, appalling performance of a U.S. president uh, in recent memory, if maybe in you know the entire 20th century and 21st century. Uh, and I think, ironically, what he really did was sort of crystallize the idea of the presidency and crystallize that between both parties. It is the idea that the president is our commander-in-chief. He's the number one defender of our nation. He is the one who puts our national interest first. And when you saw a failure of such epic proportions, you, it made it clear to both sides what a president is supposed to be. So I think in answer to your question, he undermined himself incredibly, but he, in a sort of in a way I'm sure he didn't intend to do, he really uplifted the notion of the presidency as to what this ideal is, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. You can look to George W. Bush in the aftermath of 9-11, or you can look to Barack Obama, or you can look to Bill Clinton or Ronald Reagan and see how they've stood up to the people who are avowed enemies of America. And then you see the contrast with how Donald Trump performed in Helsinki yesterday. So I think that, yes, he's done pretty lasting damage to his own presidency, but he hasn't so far... um, adversely affected the institution of the presidency too badly. Dan Lipner, you know, going off of what Charlotte just said, we're hearing a lot of people associating what Russia did in 2016 as a almost Pearl Harbor-like attack, state-sponsored attack. Was that attack and what happened, according to every single intelligence agency, and intelligence heads appointed by Trump. Is what happened in 2016, the cyber attack and the meddling, the equivalent of Pearl Harbor? Uh, I think the analogy is wrong. As far as we know, there were no, uh, no there was nobody involved in the U.S. Army or the U.S. government that was uh, supportive or aiding the uh, Pearl Harbor attack, as far as I know. Uh, that, that my military history might be a little weak there, uh, but uh, I'll leave that to Admiral Ken. That, but I, I'm going to go out on, uh, on a limb that, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a different creature. But no, it's a, it's a big deal. But it's the biggest deal is again because the occupant of the Oval Office is not only dismissive of it, but challenging every bit of evidence from every American that whose job it is to find these things, to defend our country against these kind of attacks, and these, whether or not they're attacks by bullets or, in this case, attacks by bits of cyber information. He's challenging all of it, and it's dangerous. 
How dangerous is this, Dan, to both domestic policy, national security, uh, international to the international global community? Well, it's principally dangerous because of the number of followers he has. If if Donald Trump were just a member of the tinfoil cap brigade that is hanging out on the street corner yelling at the sky, this wouldn't be a big deal. Unfortunately, Donald Trump has a following that is not insignificant. And a lot of that following will continue to believe anything he says for reasons that I clearly don't understand. I think most of us on the show don't understand. That said, I am a bit heartened by Admiral Ken's point uh, that the president's performance next to President Putin was uh, challenging, to say the least, uh, to, to some of uh, Trump's followers. But until I see numbers that there's a real hit there, I still think it's going to be a serious battle. And a, that battle is going to need to be fought not by people like me or Sharmila or any of the other Democrats that ever appear on this show. It's got to be fought by Republicans for the heart of the Republican Party, and they have to be willing to lose their seats along the way. They have to be willing to stand up, regardless of the cost to them politically, and just stand for what's right. I'm hearing a few voices now, but even then, they're a little too quiet. I would agree with Dan, and, and Justin, if I may. Um, yeah, go ahead. Know, I, 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 I tuned in purposely. Uh, on, on, into uh, Fox News uh, last night and this morning, and um, and you know I, I know a couple of those folks. Ed Henry, for instance. I mean, I had a couple of drinks with them over over the years, and um, what, what I found interesting was that the more serious people, news people, were challenging uh, the president's words. Um, the the ideologues and the the, the propagandists like Sean Hannity. Um, were were basically saying you know was 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 taking President Trump's uh, uh, cue and and questioning you know how how dare you know the, the they say that he committed treason when no one pressed any charges against Hillary Clinton and so forth and so on so I think as long as um, the 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 propagandists uh, over at Fox News have access to a microphone and a TV camera. Um, and um, the, 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 the base that, that Trump so desperately desires and loves clamor to him, um, the, the, the chances of there being more profiles encourage, um, you know, scratch that, the, the, the chance of there being any profiles encouraged standing up to the president, uh, I think are going to be slim to none. And, and those few voices like Mitch McConnell, um, um, uh, Paul um, um, Ryan. Speak, thank you, Paul Ryan. You know, they went out and, and, and basically said, yeah, yeah, the Russians did it, the Russians did it, but nobody said shame on Mr. President. Nobody's done that yet. And if, uh, if I may add to that really quickly, uh, one of – I think you're complete, you and Dan and I imagine Sharmila are totally right, and one of the more interesting voices that um, – was a little more vocal than I thought she would be was actually Abby Huntsman, whose father is um, the ambassador to Russia. And she was quite critical of pretty much the whole process um, or the whole dog and pony show, if you will, of what was happening between Russia and the United States, between Putin and Trump. And she was a really strong voice. And I mean, I don't know if I imagine that, you know, having these type of people like Neil Cavuto and Geraldo and Abby Huntsman and 
um, a laundry list of other people on Fox News actually did kind of prompt this hour and a, or under two and a half, two hours ago kind of change of heart by the president where he's saying, well, he accepts the U.S. intelligence findings on Russia, but it probably didn't impact the results of the election. So I wonder, I can't help but feel like that's going to, if those small voices can be a sort of death by a thousand paper cuts. Well, you know, the, the, the funny thing about it is when you look at, you know, the, the the comments brought out, I mean, you look at the comments of of Senator John McCain, who literally within minutes of the conclusion of that press conference issued an official statement from his Senate office. You look at all of the Republicans that have come out against the president on this. I give you uh, even the the words of Senator, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Speaker Paul Ryan. You look at the words of his own intelligence chiefs who came back. Dan Coats, the president's director of national intelligence, even made a statement of we stand by our intel intelligence assessment. Um, I guess, you know, Dan, should that be a wake-up call for the president to say, wait a minute, this, you know, got sideways, I got to make this right. How does he make it right? Well, I mean, that's the, the real question, and it's not so much about what does he have to do to make it right. The real question is, why is it wrong in the first place? And so pulling in a little bit of amateur psychology, but in this case from a former colleague of mine whose expertise is actually in body language, coaches candidates for a living on, on body language, uh, he wrote an interesting uh, post on Facebook saying that Donald Trump's body language was so distinctly different with Putin than it was with any other foreign leader, any other person of military rank, any person in the House or the Senate. This is the only time he has ever seen Donald Trump use both submissive language in word and submissive body language, completely submissive to to President Putin, which leads us down the road of what has Putin got that everyone else don't got? Because uh, clearly respect uh, from Donald Trump uh, doesn't come easily, or submissiveness from Donald Trump doesn't come easily. Deference. So, no deference. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. Yep. Sorry, I was agreeing with you. Sorry. So, so Donald Trump's there. There is something. There is. There is. I believe more now that there is a there there that of what Putin has. And I don't care about the video, even though that could very well be the case. But it could be anything from Trump's finances, which is where I think the the real devil lies, or the arguably the warning shots that may have been fired across the bow for the assass- the Russian assassinations that happened in the UK. Uh, the Trump family's out there in the crazy thing that when when you don't when when you don't live within the law, the other side of it is you don't get the protection of the law. So but, I don't know what Donald Trump's dealing with, but it probably ain't good. Charmlet, I mean I mean I don't think ever in my years of being in and around government and that's now going on 
30 years would I ever be able to ask this question? And that question is, you know, is there a possibility that this president has been compromised either before or since his election and installation as president? I think that there's more than a possibility. There's, you know, a significant likelihood that this president has been compromised. If you look at sort of his near, you know, his defiance of all logic in his defense of uh, Vladimir Putin and is in his, you know, denial that any sort of interference occurred in this election when every single intelligence source in this country has told him otherwise, it really boggles the mind. One small comfort I take is that you think he can't be compromised because if he was compromised, he'd at least be more subtle about this, right? Like, the level of denial in which the president has projected out is frankly insane. And so it really begs the question, either he is so significantly compromised that he's not thinking rationally, or he's just incapable of understanding the circumstances around him. Either way, that's not a, that's not a circumstance in which you want the president of the United States to be in. Yeah, but Laura Chow, I mean, we're getting into really, really sensitive and dicey territory when it comes to our standing as the preeminent superpower globally. Is every day we continue down this path of, you know, Putin's a good guy, Putin swears he didn't do it, are, are we doing irrevocable damage to our national credibility I don't know if I'd say it's irrevocable. I think it, we are doing damage. That is for certain. Um, but I feel like with all things, hopefully this will heal over time. And it might be a long time, but it, over time it will heal. I mean, as uh, as timely as the uh, comparison might be, you know, Germany had a very unfortunate past. They With World War II, you know, they've, they also were dealing with Nazis, I guess you could say, just like us right now. Um, and they've come back as a world leader, as a powerhouse, as a country where, you know, they're actively, you know, taking part in peaceful negotiations and trade deals and that kind of thing. So I don't think this is totally irreversible, but I definitely think that we are doing a lot of damage that's going to pretty much last a generation. We're, we're, it will take at least a generation to kind of have that moment where if we don't write the ship, I should say, it will take at least a generation to kind of say, you know what? I remember the good old days when America was open and welcoming and, you know, X, Y, Z, and possibly, you know, in a couple decades, we'll be able to look back and be like, you know what? Trump was just a blip on the radar. We've fixed everything and we move forward. And, you know, Admiral Ken, you know, just from a intelligence credibility standpoint, I mean, we have unanimous consent from the intelligence services here in the United States, both civilian and defense, that all agree that Russia meddled in the election. By I don't like using, the word meddle. I don't like the word what meddle. Do you like? What do you want uh, to do? Attack. We, were, we, we were attacked. We were attacked. Okay, it was fine. a cyber attack. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay, Go fine. ahead. Then, but, but right now, their interference, whatever we want to call it, uh, you know, every single intelligence organization is in concurrence 
that that happened and it was in fact Russian nationals as set forth by the indictment of 12 serving military intelligence officers in the Russian military, the GRU. What gets me is the president has, I know for a fact that the president was briefed as early as that morning before his meeting with Putin. What gets me is he made his statements, and then when given the opportunity to walk it back there in Helsinki at the press conference, doubles down. Then on top of that, in the West Wing today, he had the opportunity to try and walk it back, read an entire prepared statement verbatim, and at the end, ad-libs and says, or it could have been other people. Where I mean, this is going to cause major problems, not just inside the Beltway, but domestically and even with our international partners. So consider cool. this. C- consider this. So not not so everything you just said was right on target. In, in addition, so the, the the intelligence services took the unprecedented step of 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 showing some of the the the, the level of capability that we have. So yeah, Russian army officers, what their names were, what what computers they were using, and what buildings and what floors they were sitting on on those computers. Okay, so and and, and on top of that, they released this to the world. So for Donald Trump to basically stand up in Helsinki next to Vladimir Putin yesterday. Uh, and to double down and to go on the dive tribe trying to uh, distract um, the discussion uh, around Hillary Clinton. And, and when posed, when the question was directly posed to him by a reporter, uh, still managed to, you know, to, to say, you know what, it, it, I, believe that Pres- I believe President Putin. You know, so everybody in the world that, that can read, that can read, knows what was in that indictment and for him to go to stand up and do that you can't help but walk away from thinking one of two things either he's nuts and i don't believe he is or two he's dirty which i do believe and so go ahead sharmila go ahead well i i don't want i don't want to interrupt ken if you no, want go ahead sharmila i'm done go oh. for it no, I was going to say, well, I think that the president's sort of combined reactions highlight two very key features of his personality. One is his ego, right? He can't truly admit that there was any interference with the 2016 election because it would undercut the legitimacy of his presidency, right? If, there, if he can admit to the idea that perhaps the election results were tampered with, that means that perhaps he's not a legitimately elected president, and that's something that he would never admit out loud or to himself. And the second thing is that you see that President Trump, and this is not something that is just uh, is just obvious in his presidency. It's been a feature of his entire life. President Trump does not like confrontation. He was given multiple opportunities during that press conference to, you know, condemn President Putin for his, you know, incursions into the Ukraine, for his actions in Syria, for his government's you know, meddling in the or attacks in the U.S. election, and he declined I, all of them because he doesn't like to confront people. His Sharmila, way I, I, is to be more passive aggressive and to sorry. Uh, pardon me, pardon my, pardon my interruption. He is he is he is not 
non-confrontational when he thinks he can get away with it. No, if he'll, you go he'll back, happily. If you go back, true, to and he will happily tw- attack someone on Twitter, or nope. you know, or in a, when he has more power, he'll happily attack someone you know who is you know less powerful him from him or is you know away from him via Twitter or you know via a news camera. But he very rarely can actually confront the people that he's face to face with, and you see that not just in how he didn't confront President Putin, but you saw that in his treatment of all his employees. You know, look at Reince Priebus, look at John Kelly, look at Rex Tillerson, look at you know Jeff Sessions. Look at what, he was, what he's still doing to Jeff Sessions. Instead of being able to confront him and say you're fired, he's just you know torturing the man. Well, and, and but I guess the one the one exception to that was was just watching him. Uh, practically come across the table at the uh, at the folks at the NATO the NATO meeting just just last week. I mean, he was very confrontational. And, and again, if he thinks he can get away with it, if he thinks he's got the upper hand, um, if he thinks that he can be bombastic and, and look good and powerful doing it, he will. But to, and I completely agree with you. But I think it more underlines the point that when it comes to Putin, when it comes to the way he looked, he just looked completely just he was low energy yesterday. He was very low energy yesterday, and I, 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 and I'm really hoping in my in my wildest imaginings that he's listening to this podcast. He was low energy, Donald, yesterday. Right, I agree, and I agree with the conclusion that he that the president will happily confront the people who are too polite to be rude to him back. Right, but Dan Lipner, I mean, you know, the, the vision I have of Jonathan Lemire with the Associated Press standing in that room with those two on the world stage, Trump had an opportunity to show true leadership. Um, It didn't appear that he did, but is there a possibility that we may be giving the president too much of a hard time on something that he may have a plan for? I mean, should we give him the benefit of the doubt? Uh, based on the denuclearization of North Korea, uh, declaring peace in our time, oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, how, how can you not say the president has a plan with that kind of success? Was that sarcasm, Dan? I certainly hope everyone picked up on the sarcasm. Okay. Lord Chavez, I mean, you know, the – the media, along with just about everybody else in government, has been hypercritical of him. That unless Donald Trump really does a magical way of backtracking this, is this a longstanding crisis for the White House? Yes, but in the uh, pantheon of history that has become this administration, we've had so many other crises, you've got the Muslim ban, you have Charlottesville, you have family separation. It's almost like they're trying to dilute the waters with more toxic water. I think this will be an ongoing problem for pretty much the duration of whatever his presidency happens to be, but I think it will also get buried under other things. It'll get buried under a Supreme Court nomination. It'll get buried under, you know, appointing a new insert cabinet member here. It'll get buried under so many things that people will try to keep it bringing it up, but we're drowning in different scandals. So, you know, even just looking at a press, taking a press conference with, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and asking why, you know, John Kelly looked so upset at the NATO breakfast, you know, it's weird pivots that get our attention. You know, 
it's not that he was upset because Trump just blindsided him. It's he was upset because breakfast wasn't right or he didn't want pastries and cheese or whatever the excuse was. I think this is going to be something that we will be talking about for the duration of the presidency and this administration, but I think it's also going to be something that you know, we're going to talk about, and then the subject's going to change again, and the subject's going to change again. Unless Russia really pushes forward on something, we'll talk about it again through the midterms, absolutely. Um, but then right after that, it'll probably die down again. It's, you're just, we're just drowning in so much information and so many other new scandals to pick up on. You know, we got to take a quick break here, but before we do, Admiral Ken, I want to just go back to the comment of Senator John McCain when he wrote, quote, today's press conference in Helsinki was one of the most disgraceful performances by an American president in memory. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Sharmila, is, is Senator McCain on target with that? Absolutely. There's no question. I don't think okay. you'll find someone in this panel who disagrees. Okay, so we're going to come back. We're going to continue I disagree. talking about I'm not this. certain he's an American president. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank we'll you. talk about Everybody hold on. We're going to talk about that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue talking about the fallout from this meeting and or summit, plus the disastrous events at uh, both the NATO and the meeting in the UK. This is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. Stay with us. We'll be back in two minutes.
backroom politics. And we're back with the best political talk show you've never heard of live on Blog Talk Radio. This is Backroom Politics. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, Sharmila Chari, Admiral Ken Carradine, Daniel Littner, and Laura Chavez. Hey, uh, we're continuing the discussion regarding the president's appearance out in Helsinki, Finland, and the mutual meeting between President Vladimir Putin of Russia and our own Donald Trump. Uh, the, the fallout continues to come from both sides. Uh, Admiral Ken, as a Republican, is, is there any real defensible position for true Trump Republican base to take on this? Uh, I, 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 no, I, well, I don't know, honestly. I, so, so much like you and people we admire, like Steve Schmidt, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the edge here. And, and um, it, I guess this is one of those situations where I'm waiting to see what the, the party leadership is going to do with this, this, this latest little, uh, little gift from, uh, from, from president Trump. Um, but you know, if if you know if Donald Trump continues to to, to go down the path that I, that I think he's going to go, uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, the rest of the, uh, the the party responds. I mean, he's he's already had an interview with with Tucker Carlson on Fox News, and uh, has referred to John Brennan as a very bad guy and an FBI lover. And so you know, if 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 anybody's looking for President Trump to really back down. Um, I think they're going to be sorely disappointed. Um, and because of that, I think if there's ever been an opportunity for the party that loves to basically uh, throw out the, uh, the, the words of Ronald Reagan, um, and um, if they're really going to really be true to that, then they will, there will be a revolt. Uh, if not, if this really has become the party of Trump, then it won't, and, um, and these people will continue to uh, completely ignore and, uh, and make, make excuses for uh, the worst behavior uh, that any, any leader in my lifetime has ever has, uh, has, has committed. Daniel Lindner, let me ask this question. Number one, with the indictment handed down by uh, or announced by Rod Rosenstein and, and, uh, and handed down last Friday, should this meeting even occurred? No. <laughs> I mean... Why not? The, not only should the meeting not have occurred, um, unless the president was prepared to hold Putin's feet to the fire, uh, which, as we've seen, that answer is no. Uh, yep. Of course this meeting shouldn't have occurred. The there is no excuse for this meeting occurring aside from the wildly mysterious fact that he met with Putin alone for a couple of hours uh, with absolutely no clear message of what came out of that meeting. I mean, unfortunately, this sounds like the tinfoil hat brigade on the left, but thankfully there are people on the right that are also a little curious about exactly what happened between this U.S. president and Vladimir Putin in private without any note takers. Um, I'm, there was one comment that was said in passing about the, the Russian translator who was present 
uh, being an attractive woman, which I have a strong suspicion uh, President Putin didn't select by accident, because since he knows what he's doing, um, it's there are a lot of things out here that we just don't know. But if if there was a Machiavellian approach on our side, there's obviously a Machiavellian approach on the uh, Russian side. But if there is one on our side, it needs to re- reveal itself pretty darn quick. You know what's really funny well, is, is, that, is whenever when, whenever I hear the fact that that he he had this meeting alone, President Trump had this meeting alone with President President Putin, and there was there were no advisors for whatever reason. The words adult supervision want to get jump into my mind, you know. And and, and I and I guess the reason I say that is if you remember during the lead up to his election, um. Everyone that was a Trump supporter was saying he's going to surround himself with the best advisors, and he's going to listen to them, and they're going to keep him in check. Well, we're a year and a half into this, and it's it, it, kids, it's not happening. But Sharmila, you know, the, when we there's there's some really serious serious people that are very disturbed by the actions of the president. I mean. You know, you look at uh, you, you look at former director of central intelligence John Brennan, who says that this was, in his words, in his words, uh, treasonous. I mean, it was nothing. In the, the quote he uses is "quote unquote" nothing short of treasonous. Is are we getting into a serious time which? With the special counsel's investigation, there's more pressure on the White House to get rid of some of these pressures, i.e., the word on the street about possibly uh, impeaching Rod Rosenstein? I think that's um, I think that's the worst move the White House could make if they uh, you know if they want to retain any credibility and if they want to tampen down calls for, you know, further investigation of the president. And I've heard today calls that, you know, the Senate should be censuring the president for his, his words during the, uh, the Russia press conference. So I think that if they were smart, they would stay away from any moves like that, right? Or it could be a repeat of when the president fired James Comey. I think that any move to sort of, you know, quote unquote, release these pressures is going to just feed more fire into or give more ammunition to the obstruction of justice charge that I think he's already staring into the barrel of. So if I were advising the White House, which I don't think they're going to hire me to do anytime soon, I would tell them to (laughs) – you never know. They don't really seem to vet people very strongly, so I feel like if I just threw my resume in, I could probably get an interview. That's true. Um, But but if I was advising them, I would tell them to take the exact opposite course to, in fact – to act and you know which is the opposite of what they've been doing this whole time which is to act as though the Mueller investigation is in the normal course and you know profess their conviction that they will be exonerated at the end of the day and not draw more attention to it because i think the more attention they draw to it the bigger the spotlight becomes on the president that's not what they want and speaking of special counsel robert Mueller, breaking news nbc is reporting that uh the special counsel's office has told a judge a federal judge that it will look to have at least five people testify under immunity against former Donald Trump campaign chairman 
Paul Manafort. Um, Dan Lipner, that's got to be a gut punch to the White House right now. I mean, can I? I mean, how much worse can it get? <laughs> so, yeah, it's a gut punch to, to people with a conscience or for people who might care about what they're doing. Uh, tell me that's some of the people in the White House, and maybe I'll believe you. But at the moment, not so much. I mean, is is this? I mean, does this have show a signal that uh, the special counsel's office is going to get? very aggressive down the road with getting to the bottom of this Russia issue. Did I guess the question is, did Donald Trump light a new fuse under the special counsel? I think the only fuse that Donald Trump lit was having the Putin meeting in the first place. Uh, it, I, it seems obvious to me that uh, the all of the information that was dumped uh, timed perfectly uh, with the meeting with Putin was done intentionally. So, yeah, this is, this is a dug their, their own grave, and uh, if they couldn't have seen this coming, uh, they're not very good at what they do. That said, Rudolph Giuliani did say, see, this is now more reasons we should just end the investigation. See, they're done now, uh, which is a, a leap in logic that, I'm not certain uh, what he happened to be smoking, but uh, maybe he's been to Colorado recently or ongoing logic that is this administration as response to any of their political or legal difficulties uh, is continually amazing. Right. Hey, um, Lord Chavez, let's go back to the Russia, the fallout from the uh, Putin meeting in Helsinki. You know, there's several people that I've talked to inside the Beltway that have said that they are expecting several resignations as a result of the performance yesterday. I mean, should there be people on the national security staff that should resign, or would you expect them to resign in short order based on what happened yesterday and the lack of pullback today by the president? I I think it's safe to say that resignations will be coming in, whether they are requested by the administration or requested by that person's soul. Um, I think that resignations are, A, just a part of life, and I understand that, but I think that the the slap in the face that the intelligence community got yesterday was, to not make it sound too sentimental, it was hurtful, and it totally swept the leg, so I don't think there was any I would think any resignation that comes in the next couple weeks is completely justified. With that said, I think there's going to be a massive push internally at the White House to try and keep people there as long as possible. That way it doesn't look like they're resigning because of this. I think the optics of having, you know, even just three resignations in rapid rapid fire, that's going to get out. It's going to look like, you know, everyone's, you know, running from a sinking ship. So I think the, the administration is going to try really hard to keep everyone where they are, see, look like a unified front, but I think that resignations are moments away. Sharma, who do you think should resign as a result of this? The president? Is that an option? <laughs> That's Hold not going to happen. You know, I, I think that unfor- right, unfortunately, this is this is a case that 
resignations, sadly, are not justified due to incompetence or doing something wrong here, right? The the DNI, uh, the CIA director, all of the U.S. intelligence infrastructure has been have been giving the president fact-based information and fact-based conclusions, and the president has decided to take those and completely throw them in the trash. And so who can you blame for that? You can't really blame anyone in the national security infrastructure for the fact that the president is acting so incredibly irrationally. Um, you know, and, and the thing is that I think that there's been this debate every time the president, as Ken pointed out at the, at the top of the show, you know, makes some sort of monumental flub or gaffe, and then the media cycle for the next 48 hours is in hysterics about it, and then they talk about where are the principled Republicans, why isn't anyone resigning, and on one hand, there is the argument of, you know, if you're truly a person of principle and a person of integrity, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't want to work in this administration, and you should be tendering your resignation. And on the other hand, there's the argument that if you, if this person who is actually a responsible adult and giving the president the counsel he needs, if that person resigns, who's going to replace them? Like, do we really want DNI, you know, Eric Trump or DNI, whoever Sergey Lavrov recommends? This is the scary part about when you think about the actual ramification of competent professionals resigning from this administration. And so I don't think that we should throw around this concept lightly of, okay, this, you know, these people should resign because, you know, some other competent professional will come in and take their place. We've seen over the course of, you know, the year and a half that this administration has been in office that they started trying to recruit competent professionals and like they've just gone lower and lower down the barrel. Admiral, can you agree? I com- I completely agree. I know they were talking yesterday about, and I, I think it was one of uh, Dan Dan Coates's uh, former uh, charges uh, was, rec- was 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 saying that Dan Coates should just should just resign. Okay, so you know what, he could do that, but who's going to fill fill that person's shoes? Do we really like the idea of? of I mean, case in point, I think uh, Sharmler brought up um, what what uh, President Trump has been doing to. Uh, Jeff Sessions, can you see Rudy Giuliani in the in the role of, of Attorney General? I mean, holy cow! So I think Dan Coates, I think Dan Coates needs to stay exactly where he is. I think that he has basically demonstrated that while his boss may not have uh, the ability to act with principle, he does, and he is going to be there to basically make sure that he continues. The president continues to get um, good intel. Um, I think. You know, my my hope is that um, there there will be a, a reckoning inside the uh, the senior staff. I think John Kelly, um, um, General um, uh, uh, Secretary of Defense. I'm having a real problem with names today. Um, General Mattis. Jim Mattis. General Mattis. Thank you, General Mattis. Um, I think you know those those guys really are, you know have have and, and, and uh, Pompeo really need to you know take a take a really serious look at what's going on and just go have a conversation with the president and say boss you're 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 you're, you're it's one thing for you to look out for yourself got it check but you, you can't do it at the expense of the country which is exactly what happened yesterday and last week Admiral Ken, Admiral Ken you you you've dealt with uh, the intelligence community throughout your career. In Washington, both as a civilian and, and as a um, as a naval officer, senior naval officer, do you is there any reason to believe that the Russians did not did not tape either audio or video or both that personal one-on-one meeting with 
If you want a transcript of what happened, if you want a transcript of what happened yesterday, probably with some video, all you got to do is go talk to Vladimir Putin because you know he's got it. Absolutely. It, Absolutely. It, it, Lord Chavez, is that something we should be concerned about? The continued playing of, I mean, continued playing is the wrong word, the continued uh, just humiliating of our executive office. Absolutely. And you, uh, you hinted at it a little earlier about could the president be compromised? Yes, he can, be, he can and most likely is compromised. And he keeps putting himself in the position to be compromised again. So it's, and he was, he's the one that really drove this uh, meeting then turned into a summit. Uh, I, so many of his senior advisors told him, this isn't a good idea, don't do this, the optics are bad, you've already met with Kim Jong-un, I mean, there were a thousand reasons not to do it. Um, and he just kind of keeps going back to that well of no, I think I can outsmart all of these people which, when you think you're the smartest guy in the room, you're usually not. Charmley, you agree? 100%. I think that, you know, as, as Laura pointed out, the president is exceedingly confident in his own abilities, which we've seen time and time again are significantly lacking. He doesn't have the attention span or the interest to truly understand these world issues. And I think you've seen, and we'll get into this more when we talk about NATO, but you see that he breaks issues down very unilaterally. He, you know, any relationship the U.S. has with any international counterpart or any relationship that a U.S. president has with any international leader is incredibly multifaceted. And yet he can only see one facet of it. And it's always the facet that supports whatever he thought anyway. So, right, you know, that's why he can disregard uh, Putin's horrible human rights record and his, you know, annexation of Crimea, his, you know, ig ignoring of, you know, other sovereign countries' space, um, you know, his bombing, his support for Assad in Syria. And yet he can focus on the one thing he does agree with, which is, which is oh, this guy also hates Hillary Clinton. And I do too. Therefore, he's my friend. And he said nice things about me. Therefore, he's definitely my friend. I can definitely get in a room with him and, you know, we can bro it out and reach a great deal. He has no idea what any of these words mean. And so you get a – and that's why you keep finding us in these situations where the president stumbles into the – you know, goes against the advice of his advisors and stumbles into these situations that have everyone – that you know, eventually turn into consternation for anyone who actually understands the implication of all these issues. And to kind of add on to that. Yeah, go ahead, Laura. Sorry, uh, to kind of add on to that, um, I think Axios' Jonathan Swan actually had a really uh, interesting quote that was given to him by the White House of sorts, um, and it said, like, and it said something in effect of, like, Trump's brain can't process that collusion and cyber attacks are two different things. The fact that you would even have a White House saying that, that the president's brain can't process stuff is a huge red flag. But, but, he, but he, I guess the question now becomes, Laura, based on that, is, is this a sign of a compromised executive or just Donald Trump displaying ignorance? Uh, can the answer be both? I think, I think he is not the 
best person for the job, whether it is, whether you don't believe he is smart enough, whether you don't believe he is savvy enough, whether you don't believe he is, you know, as uh, well-versed in the world's politics enough, whatever it is, I don't think he's the best person for the job, personally. Um, but I also think that he has been compromised. He keeps putting himself in these situations that lead him to be compromised again. And this kind of can date back however many years you want to go into his history prior to being in politics, prior to, you know, candidate Trump. You know, in that realm, I mean, you had so many different moments where he could have been compromised in theory by, he was compromised by an Access Hollywood tape, you know, which was supposed to smear him. He's been compromised by um, how many other places, and Russia is just the biggest and the baddest of the ways you can compromise him. And, and that's to say we don't know that there's any sort of dossier um, written somewhere. But I did think it was interesting that uh, I don't know if I'm sure everyone caught it, but in the uh, press conference after where Trump and Putin were there and they were talking about like, oh, I don't know about uh, any sort of reason why he would work with Putin, blah, blah, blah. But uh, Vladimir Putin actually had a kind of a lighthearted jab at the president's expense um, where he said, like, I was an intelligence officer. Trust me, I know how to write a dossier. So it was one of those moments where it was like, is he openly mocking this president and this president just doesn't know? So it's, I think he is both overly confident and compromised, which is a very dangerous mix for us. Right, right. Well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a break here real quick at the top of the hour, but I just want to go around the around the table. Um, is there any feasible way the president can walk this back, or does he just have to let it die the slow and painful death that it's going? Charmachari. Well, he tried to walk it back very pathetically a few hours ago by saying, "Oh no, I said, you know." I meant to say the opposite of what I just what I said yesterday, right? He said there's no reason. I think in the press conference he said there's no reason why Russia would do it, and then magically he was like, oh no no no, I meant the opposite. I meant there's no reason why Russia wouldn't do it. I think that you know you've already seen that that excuse is not holding water on either side of the aisle. So I I have a feeling that they're gonna replay reuse the Charlottesville playbook, which is just you know let this die out over the next 48 hours, create a new controversy, pivot. Dan, uh, Dan Lipner? Uh, unless he intends on delivering a letter to Paul Ryan sometime in the next week or so, no, there's no way to walk this back. Oh. Admiral Ken? Um, I think that if he, um, if he did a speech uh, and he seriously uh, said, Vladimir Putin, you know, uh, here's the deal. I know you did it. Um, I have complete faith in my uh, intelligence apparatus, um, and this is what's going to happen to you if if we catch you meddling or, or, or touching our elections uh, in the 2018 cycle. Uh, short of that, yeah, it's going to go 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 through the same kind of process that the Charlottesville mess went through. But um, again, I think the long-term damage here is that there are some hard-working men and women in our intelligence services, and uh, they have produced credible um, credible evidence that we were attacked uh, in cyberspace. 
and the leader of the free world, our commander in chief, basically uh, did worse than turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to it. Um, he basically threw them under a bus. And I think, quite frankly, that's the real damage here. And uh, Laura Chavez? Uh, I think I, I don't think he can walk this back, and I honestly don't think his ego is going to let him walk it back. I think he knows that he's solid with his base. The ride-or-die Trumpers are going to wait this out, and they'll still be as fervently in his corner as they were before so that he doesn't think he needs to. Interesting point. Okay. And we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, I mean, just when you thought that the NATO fiasco couldn't be just dominating the news cycle or the British news cycle factor would have kicked in after that, we had the, we had the Helsinki factor. This is just remarkable. But we're going to go back and look at what happened in London and what happened in Brussels last week. This is Backroom Politics Live. On Blog Talk Radio, we'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. And we're back with the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell, broadcasting from the beautiful shoreside town of Red Bank, New Jersey. Joining me on the line, Sharon Lachari, Admiral Ken Caradine, Dan Lipner, and 
at an undisclosed location between the National Capital Region and Cape Cod. Our associate producer, Audrey Howerton. Hey, uh, we're going to continue talking about the disastrous week for the White House last week. Uh, we've already talked about the situation of yesterday's meeting with Vladimir Putin. Let's talk about and go back to the NATO summit. Uh, very many, many of our closest allies not real thrilled with the president after the meeting in Brussels of the NATO members. Uh, it was talked about that and Trump and President Trump had possibly alluded to the fact that, and not the first time for that matter, uh, we may even consider pulling out of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Uh, you know, in it in a meeting that included Chief of Staff John Kelly, uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton, and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, the meeting with the Secretary General of the uh, of, Nor- of NATO was considered by some on the other side of the table as uh, as tense, stressful, uh, but Trump called it a success. He did point out the fact that, uh, according to a tweet on Wednesday after the meeting with NATO is that uh, all NATO members must pay 2% of their gross domestic product immediately and not until the agreed to 2025. He also, in several instances, referred to Germany as being a hostage to Russia because of a natural gas pipeline that feeds most of German natural gas, which, ironically, I love the fact that he called Germany a hostage to Russia. Little did we know. Um, depending on how you look at it, depending on a lot of Trump supporters, a lot of people are saying that the, the, the Trump trip to Brussels was a success. Admiral Ken, you've worked with NATO before. Uh, you've read the reports coming out of Brussels. Was the Trump meeting in Brussels with NATO a success? Did he hold firm and get what he wanted? So – um, I, I've heard differing reports. Uh, the number one report, um, and this came from the mouth of the president, is that that uh, everybody was very happy uh, and that they were going to pay more than what they were signed up to, to, to pay. And um, and then the subsequent reports from the other countries was that yeah that that didn't happen. Um, so backing up, you know, the, the president has has basically been successful, I think. And pushing forward the idea that the U.S. gets nothing uh, out of NATO and that we're basically paying for uh, the defense of of, uh, of Europe. So uh, the, I think I think that perspective, I mean, only goes to show how little President Trump understands history. NATO was put in place to basically keep us from having to put troops on the ground in Europe again in large numbers in case of a Russian attack. More importantly, NATO was put in place because uh, in the 20th century, the European countries showed no ability to get along with one another. We, didn't, we, we backed away from it after World War I, um, and then we got World War II, and so you know, s- smarter and sharper minds came to bear. So when, 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 when a Trump supporter tells me that we're paying for NATO and we don't get anything out of it, 
I, I, I try to take the moment to say, hey, bonehead, that's not the way things are, and, he, and here's how you need to look at it. So did he get what he wanted? Um, I, I think that if the president wanted uh, a stage to where he could show that he was you know, a, a tough guy and talk down to people uh, and make everyone at the table, including his ambassadors and his chief of staff, uh, anxious, um, yeah, he got what he wanted. If he thinks that these people can be bullied into uh, uh, doing anything, especially on his behest, especially after yesterday's performance, um, I think not. Dan Lipner, I, I've talked to a couple of people that are close to the NATO situation, and they they tell me that there's concern amongst the NATO partners that, in fact, Europe might have to consider and looking at options of how do we defend ourselves? Can we really rely on the U.S.? I mean, is that is that a win or loss for our standing as a world leader? It's a huge loss. Um, the, the idea that the United States is no longer a leader of Western democracies, uh, both at a general sense and militarily, is a problem. The existence of NATO happens to correspond with the longest peaceful period in Europe in generations. Um, and when I say generations, I mean centuries. So that's really not something to, to take casually of the idea that us falling out of this alliance could cause other problems. I mean, Brexit is out there. The issues with Italy and Greece are out there. And not to mention the huge issue with Turkey and Erdogan is also out there. And the question of what comes next for something that has done a pretty good job of keeping the peace for an awful long time is not inconsequential. It might be inconsequential to this president who has no eye to history uh, beyond what is most important to him, and I mean most important to him, the moment he wakes up till about five minutes later because his opinions seem to change pretty rapidly. But we need to be attentive to that. Hopefully, our allies in Europe will view uh, the, the Trump issue as a speed bump uh, along the path of history and will kindly look past this, this slight uh, problem for the next president, but I'm not certain that's going to be the case. I hope it's going to be the case, but it's far from clear. But, Sharmla, if you look at, you know, the, the, the Trump base, why shouldn't we pull out? If we're spending all of our money to protect them and they're not basically ponying up to the bar, what interest do we have? I mean, we're talking just a commitment of $33 billion from the member NATO countries to help back up what we're putting in, to me, that would sound like a success. Well, Justin, I mean, that's also incredibly short-sighted, I think. You know, that that argument of the president's has never made sense. Um, It's incredibly short-sighted. Think about the fact that, you know, do any NATO countries have have military bases on U.S. soil? No. Do we have military bases, large ones, important ones, 
on, on the soil of NATO countries? Absolutely. Think about the intelligence gathering, the intelligence sharing that NATO countries are doing with us to prevent terror attacks on our soil. You know, that is incredibly important. And you imagine if that in those intelligence sources are lost. There's so many intangible and sort of and truly tangible benefits that come from these alliances that, you know, have have not a lot to do with money. So while I think that there is some validity to the president's argument that like, okay, that, you know, that the majority of NATO countries have not been meeting their baseline commitments. I think that that's, that is a legitimate gripe, but the, you know, reducing the contributions of NATO partners only to dollars and cents is a colossal mistake. And one that, you know, we can't afford to make because the consequences could be a lot more dire. It could actually cost American lives versus American votes. Um, But Admiral Ken, those bases that they talk about in Germany, in Italy, in Spain, in even Great Britain, those are expensive to man, expensive to operate. Um, you know, the Trump base would probably come out and saying, you know what, shut them down. We'll defend our borders. They let them defend themselves. Why is that such a bad idea? Because we've already done this. We've seen this movie. It's called World War One. It's called World War Two. American presence basically, for whatever reason, equates to a, a, a more peaceful region. Uh, I don't know why that is, but you know, and and the problem is, you know, we put bases where we have where, where we have um, an existential mil, uh, national interest, and we're gonna, you know, case in point. I had an argument or a discussion that is uh, over over cigars about the you know the the need for the navy. Why do we need the navy in the 21st century? Well, most of the crap that you've got in your house and on your desk comes to the comes to the U.S. by sea, and so I make that point because anyone who makes that argument does so from a position of ignorance, and it doesn't take a lot of study to understand that you know. If if things go south in in uh, uh, in in, uh, in in Europe, especially in in Eastern Europe, uh, you know Crimea is the, the latest example of things going south. Then you know the the one thing that might cause Vladimir Putin under another president uh, would be to hey, there's American troops there. Perhaps we should pause under this president. I'm not so sure that would happen. But the reasons those bases are there is because we have a vested national national interest, uh, and we need to protect that. Simple. But Sharma, again, these these are not arguments. These are, I mean, to to those of us who are in the know, it's a logical argument. But to the Trump base, that just doesn't hold water. How do we how do we even remotely conflict the two? I think that, that perhaps that's the key. I think right now the problem, trans, like the reason that this problem isn't translating to majority of Trump voters, I think it's because these attacks that can, you know, on our elections seem very existential. They don't actually understand the harm that was caused by, you know, by this in, incursion into our democracy. The fact that, you know, okay, Donald Trump won. They already wanted him to win. You know, that. There, there doesn't seem to be a harm there, whereas I think that if you can translate this in terms of th- these alliances help to save American lives, both in America and abroad, right? These are the alliances that help us 
you know, root out and combat terrorists. These are the, um, right, these are the alliances that help us perhaps protect you from financial crimes, to protect you from someone scamming you over the internet and and hacking into your accounts and taking all your money or, you know, you see what happened with, you know, the attacks on Target or the attack, I think there was just one recently on Home Depot where so many people's credit histories were stolen. So I think that if we can, if the Democrats especially can start positioning the reason for NATO's importance in those terms and actually tie them to tangible harms that can be suffered by everyday Americans, that's going to make the argument a lot more palatable and more plausible to Trump, certain Trump supporters, I think, and certainly voters who are in the middle versus kind of this, you know, reversion to just talking about, oh, this, these are these, these historic alliances and talking about World War II, because the sad truth is that, you know, while we talk about how the president doesn't have an appreciation of history, I think most or many Americans don't have an appreciation of history either. You know, we, we've reached a point where the greatest generation has mostly passed away. There aren't people who lived through this period anymore to remind us of how horrible it was and the, the lasting damage that occurred because of these global conflicts. And so I think that in order for us to be able to translate this to the modern American public, we need to tie the importance of these historic alliances into modern problems. Admiral Ken, but is NATO in fact a relic of a past Cold War with the Soviets? Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. You, you believe in the relevance. You believe yeah, in the relevance. Absolutely. Right uh, absolutely. So, you know, so even in the, the war in Afghanistan, uh, there was a tremendous amount of NATO representation uh, in the first Gulf War. Uh, where I was, there was a tremendous amount of of, of, uh, of NATO-related nations uh, hel- helping us kick Saddam Hussein out of out of Kuwait. So no, the the, the Atlantic Alliance uh, is there for U.S. security and U.S. interests as much as it is, as it is there for European. So no, it is not a relic of the Cold War. And one could argue that the Cold War wasn't ended. Maybe it was just in a lull because it seems like it's been picking back up over the last 10 years. But Dan Littner, you know, here's the thing. When, when you bring that up and you talk about that, uh, that doesn't resonate. But when somebody says, wait a minute, when 9-11 happened, they invoked Article 5. Our closest allies came to our defense. Dan Littner? I guess we lost Dan Lipner. Uh, Admiral Ken, I, I mean, you know, the the invocation of Article Five—that's that's a big deal. And it's well, only occurred once. Yeah. Yeah. But it, and but, it was to us. But it, and it occurred, and and I think any 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 uh, any any you know I guess uh, attitude. That we get nothing out of the alliance, you know, requires the people, you know, completely just disregard uh, history, which is something that this president uh, seems ready, willing, and able to do if he learned it at all. And and you know, and and you know what, and I think Charlotte hit on a very good point. You know, for whatever reason, uh, may, maybe it's the generation of the people on the phone, uh, as well as our predecessors. That really tried to you know to understand and, and, and put our put our history in context. I, I had a I was having a discussion with um, with a neighbor a short while ago um, about you know whether President Obama was right to uh, to basically you know 
kind of defund for the most part the space program. He thought it was a great idea. Well, this person was in the telecom business, and I said, dude, I, the space program built your business. He didn't know that. Right. Are, are we literally seeing a case right now, Sharmila, where the lack of understanding or the lack of uh, comprehension of history could cause us to see a public swell of support for the president actually pulling out of NATO? I don't think you're going to see a public swell of support, but I think it's not going to phase his base. I think that for the exact reasons you cited and for you know his base's blind allegiance to him and the fact that he has very successfully sort of harnessed the the establishments, the foreign policy establishments, the you know the Democrats, the more moderate Republicans, whenever they kind of come out in uniform against him, he's very successfully harnessed that to see, look, you know, these people are upset because I'm a disruptor because I want to shake things up and make things better for the American people. So I think that he's you know he uses that that consternation to his advantage. But I think you're, you're absolutely right that a lack of appreciation of history and a lack of understanding why we are at this point in international relations will result, I think, in a big meh if he ever does pull out of NATO or you know, do something that's even more significant to disrupt our traditional alliances. And if you want to and watch Vladimir – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Admiral Ken, go ahead. And if you want to see Vladimir Putin run around – um, the the Kremlin like a like a little kid runs around a Christmas tree at Christmas time. Pull out of NATO. Pull out of NATO. Can I, can I follow up here? They're, they're, they're yes. linking this with a previous discussion about uh, who sh- resigning or not resigning. Uh, now at the point we're at, I don't think resigning is an option. I think not only should they not resign, they need to make the president fire them, and when. Or if and when he does, there's nothing that says they need to be quiet walking out the door. The, the time for patriots to step up is now. Yep. Concur. Okay. Well, interesting. Interesting. Uh, the bottom line here is, are we, in fact, seeing a NATO a poss- – could we possibly see a NATO without the United States – Admiral Ken. Well, sure. I guess it's possible because I think uh, you know the president has is is um, you know created a lot of rhetoric around the fact that he doesn't really see the value in it. But you know the point I was making or trying to make was that the the U.S. leaving NATO would be a great day for Russia. I mean, it, it would be absolutely phenomenal. We're rolling back to 1917 and 1918 again. And if you think that there would not be some some, uh, some some geopolitical and military consequences of that action, then we're, you're, then, then people who believe that it's a good idea are fooling themselves. I mean, Dan Lipner, seriously, is uh, is that a possibility? For about fifteen minutes, yeah. Uh, I've I've hearkened back to uh, the invasion of. Of Georgia and uh, Senator McCain's, we are all Georgians now, even though Georgia is not a NATO member, but in a move of geopolitical genius, evil genius, but genius nonetheless, uh, Putin conducting that invasion 
specifically as a warning shot across the bow saying the West doesn't have your back. Uh, that's a thing. And when Latvia, Lithuania, or Estonia, all of which the Russians would love to reintroduce to the Russian Federation, uh, are have Russian tanks rolling over their borders because they absolutely cannot stand that battle on their own unless the Germans really want to take on that fight or the British. No, it's going to last about 20 minutes because the sincerity of the defense is backed by us. And say what you will, and I will argue that we have spent an awful lot on the military uh, in some cases, that money was not well spent. Not saying it all the time, but uh, there has been a fair amount of waste in, from, uh, as Eisenhower warned, the military-industrial establishment. However, that's not to say that there is no need for a military and no need for a guy with a with a bigger gun having your back. And if we aren't there, that changes things an awful lot. So NATO might reincarnate without us, but I don't think it stands for very long. All right. Well, we're gonna, I'm going to let that be the last word. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back in two and a half minutes, we're going to talk about the president's trip to England, where not only did we throw one of our closest allies uh, in number 10 Downing Street, Theresa May, under a very public and huge bus, but we didn't score any points with Buckingham Palace either. We'll talk about that when we come back. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. Live on Blog Talk Radio, Backroom Politics. I'm your host, Justin Russell. We'll be back in two and a half minutes. Stand by.
is backroom politics. And we're back with the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. I am your host, moderator Justin Russell. Also joining me as they do every Tuesday, Sharon Lachari, Admiral Ken Carradine, Dan Lipner, and of course our associate producer Audrey Howerton. Hey, uh, in case you can see the big rollover that happened in Great Britain last week, because everybody's still reeling from the fallout of Helsinki. Uh, we went into the special relationship, the, the, our closest ally in Europe, one of our best friends in the world, went in there and basically just punched him in the private areas. Uh, it was what many seen as disrespectful. It was some claiming even dangerous the way that President Trump went to London, England, and Great Britain and met with Prime Minister Theresa May. Here's what's going on. Theresa May has already had a bad week with the fact that the soft exit from Brexit, or the soft Brexit, as it's called, has not been well-received and has gone through serious, serious challenges, including the resignations of her two key Brexit advisors, including... Foreign Minister, Foreign Minister Boris Johnson and former London mayor, by the way. Uh, then he goes to meet with uh, – he then goes to meet with the queen and not only keeps her waiting but walked in front of the queen. That's just simple protocol, people. Come on. You guys at the White House have got to get used to this. Hey, and also, in case you didn't see it, because, you know, the most dangerous place – in the world is between a microphone, a camera, and the president. Well, the president went on several talk shows, interviews, including the uh, Rupert Murdoch Fox organization-owned uh, The Sun tabloid, and went on to proceed to, or went to, on to insulting Theresa May on a level that astonished everybody, including some of the president's closest advisors. Um, he tried to walk it back, praising May when he was standing right next to her in uh, the garden at uh, the checkers meeting, but still I think the damage was done. Um, we talk about the damage being done. How damaging was the president's meeting in England? So, ironically, I actually think that the president's performance in Helsinki has helped Theresa May a little bit and helped sort of ease any damage that the president's son interview did to her. I think that, you know, if you think about it logically, you know, undermining the financial strength and stability of the EU is a major goal of Vladimir Putin. And when you saw how kind of obsequious President Trump was to him in Helsinki, you could see how you could see a much more clear line between a hard Brexit, which is what the president favors and which was what, you know, what people like Boris Johnson favored, and at least a temporary decline in the financial stability of the EU and, and the viability of the EU as, as a kind of as a, as a cohesive financial unit. And I think that you know, that's something that Vladimir Putin would very much welcome. And the fact that President Trump was advocating for it and criticizing Theresa May for not going that route and for trying to remain, trying to maintain some financial ties to the EU, um, 
I think it now is going to be seen in a much more negative light by by those who are critical of President Trump and those who are very suspicious of Vladimir Putin's, you know, meddling in the EU affairs. So ironically, even though Helsinki was a debacle in many ways, I think it was somewhat helpful to, to Theresa May in the fact that it undercut some of the president's criticism of her and shed maybe perhaps new light on his motivations for making those criticisms. And along those lines, Charmla, uh the BBC has reported that uh, Theresa May's government may have lived to fight another day as her government survived a parliamentary procedure that could have led to a vote of no confidence. But it looks like that that hurdle was cleared and soft Brexit is still uh, kind of on the table. Uh, Dan Lipner, I mean, is Charmla right? Did the president completely screwing this thing in Helsinki actually gives some good overhead coverage to Theresa May and 10 Downing Street? Potentially a little bit, but the question really is whether or not uh, the Labor Party can capitalize on it. So Theresa May might have a, a life within her own party, but whether or not the left in Britain can respond to it uh, is really the key. Uh, And I can't say I know British politics well enough to know whether or not they are any more organized than the left in in this country. Uh, But I believe the answer is no at the moment, but it's possible that that they might find a a burst of life. But since Donald Trump is doing such wildly unpopular things, uh, being bad-mouthed by him or uh, being shunned by him can actually be a, a, a boon to democracies, uh, when the enemy of my enemy is my friend, uh, she, she might actually be able to benefit from it. Um, Admiral Ken, you know, along with the fact that it was just a, a an interview that really was scathing to the administration of Theresa May, but to have him sit there and say it was fake news in front of her, which everybody knew it wasn't, have have we really put our relationship in jeopardy with having Donald Trump run rampant through Great Britain, Great Britain the way he did? Um, yeah, I, I think so. There there were a number of um, um, reports on this morning and um, the, the the morning cycles, news cycles about the fact that, you know, even Germany is basically making the comment that, you know, based on uh, the president's behavior last week and and this week, uh, that, you know, the the United States is no longer somebody, uh, a a country that they can, that they can depend on. And, you know, and I don't, I don't think uh, it was so much uh, Donald Trump's behavior in Helsinki yesterday that, that, that really, um, you know, had a, I guess, a chilling effect on, on the on the president's comments um, about Theresa May, I, I, I honestly think it was the the the, uh, the disrespect that he showed the Queen. Um, the Brits are, uh, are a really strange group. Um, you know, they are they are um, very very you know forward leaning, modern thinking or uh, country. Um, you know, they saw uh, the benefits of you know uh, trying to uh, have a more inclusive society. Uh, long before the U.S. did, and it only makes sense they're quite a bit older than us. 
but the the thing that 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 runs true for for most of the ones that I've ever met, they love they love the royals, they lo- and they especially love the queen. And this is a ninety you know something year old woman that the president basically cut off and then walked in front of, and it was kind of like you know what, <laughs> I don't care what your politics are, you 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 mess with Queen Mum, you're 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 treading on dangerous territory. I think that probably did more to basically um, dilute. The, the, the Trump effect in uh, in London than anything else he could have done. You, you know, Dan Lipner, it, it, it's kind of ironic that the um, that you know Fox News, owned by the Rupert Murdoch organization, Fox News is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Trump propaganda machine. It was a Rupert er- Murdoch owned newspaper that called him out on his lie. About the comments you made about Theresa May, I mean, did 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 the Sun was the Sun revelation and the Sun release of the audio and the transcript uh, a sign that that relationship might be crumbling between Murdoch and uh, and the White House? Uh, no, it's a sign that Rupert Murdoch is his own business interest. Last time I checked, and I haven't been following it closely. Uh, I believe Fox uh, or Rupert Murdoch and and his other affiliates are trying to make it a move on the Sky Network in England. Uh, right. Somebody else can correct me on that. And one of the things that they are battling is issues of whether or not they're an actual news organization. So actually challenging the president in that case is to, is an aid to his own business interests. So kudos to the Brits for paying attention to such things and uh, making sure that media has, is handled properly with its uh, with its uh, heightened responsibilities to the public. So I think uh, it's not such a surprise, and for all of of Donald Trump's belief in 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 personal diplomacy and who treats him right and who treats him nicely and all that nonsense, uh, there there are people who do act completely rationally in their own self-interest. And I think that's exactly what uh, the Rupert Murdoch media groups are doing. Uh, Sharma, let, I mean, let, let's go to, let's, let's talk about the queen for a second. Um, everybody loves, everybody loves the queen. Uh, even us Yanks here. Not love Sherry the Blair. Queen. What's that? I said not Sherry Blair. Well, does she really matter? <laughs> Thank you. Um, you never know. <laughs> this, this, I mean, this is the age I mean, of political comebacks, Justin. Don't true. don't rule out Sherry Blair for PM 2026. Oh, good God. Um, anyway, here's here's the thing. The, the, oh, you know, you would hope that somebody in the White House would have made the advance notice of. Uh, hey, you let the queen walk in front of you. I mean, we've seen this president push ahead of state of Montenegro, I mean, publicly out of the way so he can get to the front of a picture. Uh, should we really be surprised that the president really insulted the sovereign at Buckingham Palace? No, you've seen the president disrespect his own wife on multiple occasions. Think about after his inauguration when, you know, instead of escorting Melania up the stairs, he just <laughs> ran right ahead of her and left her, you know, holding a huge Tiffany's box to give to Michelle Obama. Right? I mean, 
this is not a man to whom protocol is terribly important. So I think that while, yes, it makes a fun, you know, gossip headline and, you know, you can read about it at People magazine, that's, it's not an important issue. And I think, you know, with all the other issues going on around the president, this one I think will blow over relatively quickly. Dan, Dan Lipner, you, do you agree that, you know, that the president dissing Queen Elizabeth II is, is in fact just fodder for the entertainment pages and nothing we need to be concerned about? I mean, in the grander uh, scale of things, it, he's, he's literally doing far worse in real time. Uh, it's something to make note of, and I saw a few pieces out there about the you know when the presidents are when presidents are supposed to bow or what kinds of decorum they're supposed to have with foreign leaders. Uh, I'm thinking back to how Fox News exploded when uh, uh, for uh, President Obama's deep uh, deep bow to uh, the Emperor of Japan that he didn't understand the United States that presidents don't, don't do that. I would tend to agree it was a poor choice uh, for President Obama to do that, even though it's just a sign of respect. But there's also a, a suggested sign of subservience in other in other uh, contexts. Uh, so a handshake, I feel, as though would have been more appropriate. That said, the president walking in front of the the Queen, while by the way, and this is to to uh, Admiral Ken's uh, world more than mine. While doing the formal inspection of the troops, <laughs> which is what that was for, uh, seems like an obvious thing that you don't do. And I cannot imagine somebody in the White House protocol office didn't uh, advise the president on how to properly handle that situation. That tends to be a big deal, especially in front of a another leader's own military. But, hey... <laughs> Those are pesky details that would suggest the president listens to anyone or, well, maybe reads. Well, Sharma, the office's protocol. <laughs> well, so I got to tell you if something. If he's cutting out White House, White House governmental waste, I cannot imagine that he thought a Department of Protocol was something that he needed to have. <laughs> Actually, I might Google right now who the chief protocol officer is under the president. That's I don't know that there is one. That's a very good choice. But here's the bottom line, though, okay. is Admiral, Admiral Ken, here's the thing. Should should number 10 Downing Street be concerned uh, regarding the president even speaking the word Brexit, let alone weighing in? There is no chief of protocol currently. <laughs> even better. Admiral Ken? Um, yeah. You know, if you know, I would, I would, I don't know if 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 a one-on-one meeting occurred between Theresa May and President Trump on this last trip. Um, perhaps you know when when she was he was walking uh, with her into the Rose Garden for that uh, that briefing uh, where he eventually you know said uh, the fake news made the fake news comment. You know, maybe she whispered to him, "Hey, dude." You got enough crap going on at home. Don't go sticking your nose in over here. Um, I, I'd like to think that that happened, um, but uh, they they need to be worried. And, and truth be told, they do they do have enough stuff going on um, uh, without the president uh, in, inserting his his probably uneducated two cents into the uh, into the mix. Right. Um, you know, speaking of the garden presser. 
Dan Lipner, the, the, the president insulted a lot in the media during that uh, press conference with Prime Minister Theresa May and made it very uncomfortable for the Prime Minister when he called out Jim Acosta and just said, I'm not letting you ask a question. You're fake news. CNN is fake news. Um, that caused some tension into the White House correspondence. Uh, it included uh, some very angry commentary from the White House Correspondents Association and the National Press Club uh, regarding the way the president handled that. Uh, is Eventually, is this mentality of fake news going to backfire on the president as we saw with uh, you know, his comment about the sun being fake news, and they said, nah, we can prove it. How about you? The only way it backfires, and I'm a broken record on this, is if conservatives, uh, both in the media and in office, speak up. The idea that the press has a job to do, and when they back themselves with facts, they deserve to be taken seriously. Not that the press doesn't ever make mistakes, but real press, when they make a mistake, they acknowledge it and move on. But this president seems to have no idea what that is, and worse yet, many of his followers have no idea what that is. I've seen many a Trump supporter point to retractions and corrections from NBC, ABC, CBS, the New York Times, and say, see, this is proof of fake fake media or fake news, when in fact, when they actually do print a retraction or a correction, that's more evidence that they are credible. They take this stuff seriously, and they will publicly correct it, and at which point I ask them consistently, when's the last time InfoWorlds printed a correction <laughs> or a clarification or a retraction? When's the last time Fox News printed a correction, a clarification, or any kind of follow-up? When those outlets do the same thing, I will allow them to enter my lexicon of real news. But until that happens, that's what actual fake news is. When you publish what you want the truth to be and not what it actually is, and when you make a mistake, if you don't acknowledge it, you aren't real press. Justin, if I may? Yeah, go ahead, Admiral Ken. Uh, I, think, I think part of the challenge there, too, is – uh, the the line between real news and commentary uh, has been blurred. Um, I think the credible news sources um, they they try to they try they really put in a good faith effort, you know, to be credible news sources. Uh, others um, they they intentionally blur the lines. Um, and when I say others, I'll call them out. I'll call out Fox News. I mean, I, I, I regularly watch Fox News. I watch CNN. I watch MSNBC. Uh, I read the Wall Street Journal, and I listen to NPR. And I will tell you that uh, without fail, um, they, they, they blur the lines between, between news and between, um, between commentary. Uh, you know, and and it's and, and it's to the detriment, I think, of people that are trying to understand what's going on because all they hear is blah 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 all the time when they really should be focusing on hearing the facts, uh, so that they can make real determinations on on how they they will eventually vote for one one candidate or another. 
but here's 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 what we don't get along those lines though, Sharmalachari is, you know, the media, at least the media that that I associate with, and we all associate with, uh, usually have the proof, usually through interviews, audio recordings, etc. They can demonstrate the proof. What we haven't seen come out of the White House press office, or out of the president for that matter, is the proof that it is fake news. Is, is Are we at a time where we're going to start seeing, especially after what happened in Helsinki yesterday, is there a time that we're going to start seeing that uh, Americans are going to start to demand evidence when they make the claim fake news and start calling out organizations like CNN and NBC? Well, I have to, you know, as in an effort to be a credible member of the media, I have to issue my own retraction. There is a U.S. chief of protocol who was appointed by President Trump. So there's my oh. correction for the day. There you go. Good job. But I think, you know, it's, it's, inter- it's an interesting question you asked, Justin, because you've seen with this president over and over again that he just sort of makes up things out of thin air or he'll cite these sort of, you know, an- I don't want to say anonymous sources, but he'll cite kind of these very amorphous sources saying, oh, many people have told me that actually Russia didn't hack, or many people have told me that, right, the RNC was also maybe hacked by the Russians, but their defenses were better, so only the DNC got hacked, right? He will just use kind of random made-up people to justify his made-up comments. Um, It's interesting if you heard uh, President Obama made a speech, a powerful speech, I think, yesterday at at a ceremony celebrating the uh, 100th anniversary of Nelson Mandela's birth, where he really advised not just U.S. citizens, but citizens of the world to stand up and to understand that facts matter and that they need to believe in facts and they should demand accountability and facts from their elected officials. That it's easy to to believe the words of a strong man and to sort of go along because it makes your life easier and you think that actually maybe just by being authoritarian they can get something done. But paying attention to the facts and demanding the facts is something incredibly important and that we as, you know, people who live in a democracy need to hang on to because without that, you know, then the credibility of the free press goes out the window and then the credibility of our democracy goes out the window. So to your point, I do hope that we see a point in time very soon where even the president's base starts demanding some facts when he talks about fake news and starts demanding that he actually produce evidence for some of his really outrageous claims. I don't know that we'll get there. I think hopefully it's more likely that, you know, cons- that Republicans who are standing firm against the president and hopefully even some more conservative Republicans will start demanding that. But until the electorate is asking for it, I don't know that they're going to get far. Wow. All right. We're going to let that be the last word. Hey, uh, you know what? Now is the time on the show where we do our parachute pool uh, as we've noted before, our, our missing in action partner here at Backroom Politics, Alan Moore, was the last winner when he picked uh, the EPA administrator, uh, Ken Pruitt, to depart. Now we clean the state. Our, our, our handicapped winner. What's that? Our handicapped winner. I believe it was not his actual last 
pick, but uh, since he was the last person to pick Pruitt, that's where we uh, we gave it to Allen. Okay, I'll, all right, I'll give you that one. Well, we're starting with a clean slate now, and now we are going to see, and especially with what's going on, who's going to leave first? Uh, Audrey Howerton, uh, talk to me. Uh, who picked who last time? And then we're going to go through – or actually, you know what? We already have a winner. I want to start off. Um, I have a proxy – for Laura Chavez, Laura is saying that the next departure is going to be uh, – who did she say? Wait a minute. Let me go back to where she said – oh, Huntsman. She, she stole mine because Sarah Huckabee. What's that? Oh, last time she picked Sarah Huckabee. She stole my pick. No, she did. Right now – what I'm saying is right now she picks John Huntsman, the current ambassador to Moscow, as the first – and next person to leave the administration. So now that we've got in her proxy, uh, ladies first, Sharmila, who do you pick? I'm going to pick Sean Lawler, the U.S. Chief of Protocol, over that horrible gaffe with Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> okay. Sean Lawler, Chief of Protocol. Well played. Okay. Yeah, you know what, uh, Audrey, we may have to print that one up on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> uh, um, well, so I'm going to use a little inside juice. I played golf with a buddy of mine who's, uh, who's, who's worked for someone um, uh, that who, – who's worked for uh, the person I think is going to be the next person to leave. I'm going to go with Chief of Staff John Kelly. Oh, you see, A, you're using insider information, which I was going to use. But uh, that's okay. Uh, you get you get John Kelly. That's fine. Dan Lipner. <laughs> I'm going back to my old standby of Sarah Huckabee because I still think her job is impossible. And I'm going to since uh, you all are picking uh, the chief of staff, I'm going to pick on Sarah Huckabee uh, place since if Kelly goes, she's going to be right up the door right after him. Say that again. You know, you can pick, you can pick in horse racing to win, show, or place. I'm going to yeah. pick uh, Sarah Huckabee to to show. So she's going to pick one out the door. Okay. Uh, I am going to pick uh, Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coates. I think he's had enough. I think he's done. I hope not. But I think his I think he's he's done. Uh but anyway, that being said, uh we're coming to the end of another show. Uh Audrey Howerton, anything you wanna add in? Not that I can think of. Okay. Real quick, can I can I real real fast? Yeah, go ahead, Admiral Ken. So we didn't talk about it, but I thought last week's um uh uh hearing where they got the grill um uh, FBI agent, I have a hell of a time with names today. Um, Peter Strzok. Peter Strzok was just absolutely, right. absolutely amazing. And Congressman Gomert to basically uh, do a personal attack on this guy for having uh, been unfaithful to his wife when he's serving President Trump just struck, struck me as just absolutely the epitome of hypocrisy. It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> that, that, um, that hearing was an absolute tragedy, an absolute national tragedy and a national embarrassment. Louis Gomer, first of all, is on 
is, is his political career is on a countdown clock right now. He's done. And the fact that he did what he did. Based on what? What's that? Based on what? His district has put up with a lot of nonsense from him over the years. What makes you think that he's going anywhere? Including the fact that he's uh, just a mean old racist. <laughs> Louis Gomer, Louis Gomer, I don't think is uh, is going to have the stroke that he thinks he does right now. I think he becomes a backbencher. I think the party's getting tired of his antics, and I think it just demonstrated. I, if, if they haven't done that, they need to put him on the backbench. Uh, what Congressman Gomer did last week was an absolute tragedy. That whole hearing was a tragedy. And, uh, and, and I will tell you right now, as a parliamentarian, it was a mess. And I got to tell you something, uh, Chairman Goodlatte, uh, should be a little bit concerned about the way he handled that. But you, I agree with you, Admiral Ken. But again, we can't cover everything. We only have two hours a week. That being said, on behalf of Admiral Ken Carradine, Sharma Achari, uh, Dan Lintner, Laura Chavez, and of course, our associate producer, Audrey Howerton. I'm your host, moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week for the best political talk show you've never heard of, Backroom Politics on Blog Talk Radio. Hey, by the way, you can also follow our From the Cutting Room Floor. Audrey, you're posting that today, right? Right? Yes, it's in the works. It will be up very shortly. Thank you. And you can also uh, listen to our show on the homepage of BackroomPolitics.org. You can also follow us on our Twitter account, at BackroomPolitics. You can follow us on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash BackroomPoliticsRadio. And you can also email me, Justin, at BackroomPolitics.org for your fan mail and just to give me criticism if you want. Hey, also, you can listen to us on your favorite podcast broadcasting system we are on itunes google podcasts tune in radio and every other podcast i think we are at least here in the united states abroad have a great week america we'll talk to you next tuesday bye-bye This is Backroom Politics.